You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Ephesians 4 is where we find ourselves. We're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. Uh, We started this the beginning of the year back in January. I don't know about you. It's hard for me to believe that this year is well over half over at this point. I don't know where it all went, uh, but it went quick. And so uh, we've been taking a look at Ephesians uh, verse by verse as we go through uh, this book together. And and so we find ourselves today in Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, I'd recommend if you've never read through the book of Ephesians, read through it this week. Uh, It'll take you, I would say, maybe uh, 30 minutes max if you're a super slow reader. Uh, it's a really power-packed book of the Bible. That's one of the reasons why we're going through it together as a church family uh, this year. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves today. Uh, I've been telling you over the last several weeks, if you were to, to, to divide up the book of Ephesians into two different groups, the first three chapters are very heavy doctrinally. Who is Jesus? Why do we need him? What has he done for us? What is our standing with God without Jesus and with Jesus? And how does that differ? Uh, the last four uh, chapters of the book of Ephesians are very practical in nature. How do we live out our faith? Uh, how, do we, uh, how does this affect our life on a day-to-day basis, knowing now what we know, that we're adopted into the family of God as children? of God. How will that change our relationships? How will that change the way we live our lives? Uh, we will find that out in verse in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So we kick off uh, chapter number 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. Uh, only two verses that we're going to take a look at today. You say, what uh, bearing does that have on the length of the message? Absolutely none whatsoever. Uh, so you might think, well, there's only two verses. This is probably going to be short. That's never the case, okay? Uh, so just buckle up. I promise you it'll be a good message from the Bible, and you'll be encouraged by it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1 and 2. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. If you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, and I recommend that you do, I'd underline those two words, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Uh, our family, uh, kind of a, one of the things our family enjoys to do, some families, you know, they go out for a hike together, they'll go to the beach together and things like that. Our family, for whatever reason, we enjoy eating together. Just mealtimes as family is just one of the things we enjoy doing. And um, we have folks that will send us gift cards from time to time. And we have family on the mainland that uh, don't want to ship big packages. So they'll send us in the mail a gift card to go to a restaurant or something like that. And so my wife in her uh, purse keeps a Ziploc bag with a stack of gift cards. I mean, if you need a Jamba Juice gift card, like on the fly, my wife, you can go to her and she got one. On, she got your back on that. Okay. Uh, you need a Starbucks gift card. There's probably a stack of those somewhere in there. I mean, anything you can imagine. She's like, I think I've got $10 to chilies over here and it's like what do you get chips and salsa for 10 bucks come on and so um we always have gift cards and so somebody had sent us a gift card to a restaurant that we're not really all that crazy about it's not one of our favorite restaurants and so uh but it was for it was for a hundred dollars and we thought man family can go out we go to a restaurant that we wouldn't normally go to maybe order something that we wouldn't normally order and so uh, she said let's go out to dinner i've got this gift card she said, sounds great so we go to the restaurant, we're looking at the menu, and we've got a $100 gift card. So uh, let's, we'll try this appetizer that we wouldn't normally try, and we'll get that. You know, the kids can all get soda tonight, you know, if they're going to pay three bucks a drink, and we're going to get we gift cards, right? Uh, this is gonna, some of you know where this story is going, but um, save it, save it. Just let the suspense build, okay? 
man, we eat a meal, and my wife says, you know, I think I'll get the steak because we have a gift card, right? And so uh, all this goes throughout the entire meal. Comes time for dessert. We're kind of full. We had an appetizer. We had a, a hefty meal. Kids had soda, but they said it's dessert. We said, oh, bring on the dessert menu. We begin to look at dessert and things like that. I said, man, we'll have dessert. So we ordered a couple different desserts and shared them together. They bring the bill. We said, we've got a gift card, and whatever's uh, not covered by the gift card, because we ordered a lot of food that night, just put it on uh, this card here. It's our debit card. Put the rest of it on on that, uh, and that'd be great, and so uh, I'm thinking to myself, man, we got out of here for like 10, 12 bucks, you know, we didn't go that much over, and so the waitress comes back, and she says, okay, here you go, sir, she said, now on the gift card, there was 75 cents, <laughs> and so I applied that to your bill, and the rest, the rest I put on your debit card, oh, thank you, thank you, and I say to my wife, you said this had $100 on it, and she goes, Oh, no. Oh, no. I go, what? And she goes, I forgot one day when the kids got out of school early. I took them by, and, and we had, had dinner together. I go, like, 100 bucks worth? She goes, we did the same thing. Like, hey, let's get dessert. Let's get it <laughs> And she goes, and they brought it back to me, and she said, I just stuck it back in the bag, and I thought that it still had money on it. So we ended up paying a ridiculous amount of money at a restaurant that we didn't really care for, for food that wasn't really that great, but we had to pay for it. Oh, my word. Value is a very interesting thing. When we say that something is worth a certain dollar amount, we place a value on it. Uh, for example, when you buy a car, there's a Kelly Blue Book that tells you what the, uh, the going rate for your type of car is based on the number of miles that are on it, based on the condition of the vehicle and things along those lines, because somebody somewhere puts a value upon something. As we look at this passage of Scripture in verse number one, uh, Paul says, I want you to place a value on your life and the way that you live your life. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we're, the words we're going to focus on today is the word worthy. And we've been called to walk worthy, walk like we have value. How do we do that? We're going to unpack that today. If we take a look at verse number one and we look at the word worthy, it says the word to walk worthy, but we need to understand, first of all, that Jesus is worthy, first and foremost. Jesus is worthy to receive worship and praise and honor and glory. Uh, Jesus is great, and when it comes to uh, prioritizing our greatness in comparison to Jesus' uh, greatness, there is no comparison whatsoever because Jesus is worthy. What is he worthy of? First of all, he's worthy of our worship. It's interesting, sometimes in uh, modern day churches, we can misunderstand what the word worship really means. Uh, we think that worship means uh, standing together in a room full of people and singing songs. Uh, I've heard people say before about a church service, well, the worship today was really great, but the preaching wasn't so great. Or the preaching was great, but the worship time was super boring. Uh, and we misunderstand, when we use the word worship to describe singing, uh, we misunderstand what the word worship truly means. The word worship means to ascribe worth to, to place value upon. That's what the word worship means. And if Jesus is worthy of our worship, then that means we place high importance upon who Jesus is. We place great value upon who Jesus Christ is, and he's worthy of our worship. The word worship literally comes from the idea of worth-ship, is where the word get, comes from. If you look up the word etymology of it, it comes from the word uh, where we ascribe a value, or we ascribe a worth to it. And when we gather together on a Sunday morning, if we're just reading words off his screen just to get through until we can sit down, that's not worship. If we're just singing along with everybody else in the room, it's, a, it's kind of a bad version of Christian karaoke, I guess you could say, right? 
just watch the, the, the ball bounce and say some words so that we can hurry up and sit down. That's not worship. Worship doesn't require well-trained musicians. Worship doesn't require uh, qualified singers. Worship requires a prepared heart that is bursting at the seams for how great our God is. That's where worship begins. Worship is a heart status. Worship is recognizing the greatness of our God, the value of Jesus Christ, and understanding in comparison to that how very, very low I am. The term worship, when found in Scripture, uh, can also mean uh, to bow down face forward to the ground in front of. Uh, We find uh, in the uh, New Testament, the story of the wise men, when they came to Jesus, they fell on their face and worshiped him. Uh, We find uh, that when Jesus caused the the storm to be still, those in the, the boat worshiped him. They fell down on their face recognizing the greatness of who Jesus Christ was in comparison to the lack that they had in their own life. And Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. John chapter 20, verse number 27, we find one of the first uh, instances that so clearly uh, that John shows that Jesus Christ is God. In this case here, Thomas, uh, after the resurrection of Christ, Thomas says, I will not believe that Jesus Christ is risen unless I see it with my own eyes and I touch it with my own hands. And he saith unto Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither my, thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Here we see Thomas ascribing worship to Jesus Christ by calling him God. Now some people will look at this and go, well, that's just what Thomas says. Those were Thomas's words. Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas in this case here. Uh, for example, if, if you came into church today and I, I shook your hand and said, hey, glad you're here. Uh, So glad to see you today, man. You are the God of this church. You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's dial it back a notch, right? Don't use words like that to describe anyone else. Jesus didn't stop anyone from worshiping. He didn't say, oh, Thomas, I'm a prophet, but don't call me God. He received worship in this case. Why? Because he's worthy of worship. He is our Lord and our God. This brings us to the critical doctrine of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ is the non-negotiable Bible truth that Jesus is God. We cannot get around this. We cannot skirt this. If at any point uh, anyone makes Jesus into being less than God, I want to be very clear on this. If anybody makes Jesus to be less than God himself, they are a false teacher. Let that be a litmus test for whether or not this is a false religion. You take the Muslims. They would say that Jesus uh, was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He had words from God, but he was not the son of God, and he was definitely not God according to the Muslim faith. We can automatically take that religion and put it in the false teacher category. You take the Jehovah's Witnesses who would say that Jesus was not God. He was kind of a lesser God. Uh, We would take that person, uh, that religion, and automatically put it in the false teaching category. You would take the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It has a very Christian uh, sound to it, also known as the Mormon Church. They would say that Jesus was just a regular guy like you and I, and he became a God. He didn't start off as God. He grew into being a God. And that one day you and I can go on and be gods of our own universe. uh, And following the example of Jesus, you and I will one day rule and reign in our own universe as God as well. We can take that and automatically put that in a false teacher category. Anyone who says that Jesus was just a good teacher, Jesus was just a good man, they are denying the deity of Christ. When someone denies the deity of Christ, they are not a Christian. Let me say that one more time because it's really heavy. 
When someone denies the deity of Christ, they are not a Christian. The reason behind this is very, very simple. If we need a Savior, we need someone to die in our place, a regular sacrifice will not do. You see, the Jews, they killed an animal every single year, over and over and over again. A single sacrifice would not be sufficient. A single human sacrifice wouldn't be sufficient because I have that must be paid for as well. You see, we needed a sinless lamb of God to pay for our sins. And the only person that could do that is Jesus Christ. Hey, look, folks, if Jesus was not God, he could not die for your sins. If he could not die for your sins, you still are on the hook for your sins. And if that's the case, we are all without hope. But because Jesus was the sinless son of God, because he was God in the flesh, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ can save us from our sins. Again, Jesus deserves the worship of God because Jesus is God. Next, he's worthy of worship on earth. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse number 21, the verse prior uh, to what we're reading in today, says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. The idea is that you and I would gather together and worship Jesus through his church, uh, that we would gather uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times a week, because Jesus is worthy. Why did you come to church this morning? I hope you came, not because it's what you're supposed to do. I hope you didn't come because you felt guilty and you think maybe this will absolve your guilt. I hope you came to church today because Jesus is worthy. And you're gonna set aside time on your calendar every single week to gather together with the church that Jesus started for the purpose of worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because he is worthy. I hope tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll pick up your Bible and you'll open it and you'll read from God's word because hearing from God is important in your life. That's saying this it has value to me and I worship God by spending time in his word. I hope you spend time in prayer tomorrow. Prayer is talking to God and just communicating to him what's on your heart. Prayer is a form of worship for us. You see, worship isn't something that takes place on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. That's a corporate gathering for worship. Worship in your life and worship in my life should take place 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And everything that we do, we should point people to the great God that we serve. That's what worship looks like. And if you say, well, pastor, I'm not really there yet. I would encourage you to try to get there. Once you recognize Jesus for all that he is, you'll want nothing else that this world has to offer. I promise you that. Once you experience God on a deep spiritual level, the things of this world kind of lose their appeal to you. No longer have the appetites that you used to. But as long as I clamor after the things of the world, so often I see Christians that, that chase uh, the things that this world has to offer in an act of worship. You say, well, nobody bows down to their bank account, but you do. You bow your heart to it. Nobody bows down to their job and worships their job, but we do in our hearts when we say this is more important than the things of God. We bow down to our friends many times. The fact that I know this relationship's not good for me is drawing me away from Christ, but I can't help myself. I just want this friendship that I have, this relationship that I have. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. I'm concerned about what other people think about me, and they become who I'm concerned with as opposed to thinking about what God thinks about me. But Jesus is worthy of worship on the earth. He's also worship, worthy of worship in heaven. It's an interesting thought to think that God the Father in heaven would command the angels of heaven to worship Jesus Christ, but that's exactly what we see in the book of Hebrews chapter number one. Hebrews one, verse number six says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. 
and the angels, he saith, who maketh the angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, speaking to Jesus Christ, God the Father says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. You see, Jesus is not only worshiped on this earth by those who call him their Lord and Savior. Jesus is also worshiped in heaven by all heavenly angels and all heavenly beings. Everyone in in heaven and earth will worship the name of Jesus because he is worthy. Turn your Bibles, if you would. Keep your fingers in Ephesians. We're coming back in just a second. But turn over to Revelation chapter 4. The verse is probably in your notes, but I want you to see it in your Bible, and I want you to, to, to circle, star, underline it in your Bible as well. Revelation chapter 4. Sometimes people try to uh, wax philosophical and ask deep, burning questions like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? The Bible spells it out for us very clearly. When speaking of the worship in heaven, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 10 the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, speaking of Jesus Christ, and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, verse number 11 is really important, thou art worthy, there's our word again, worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Verse number 11 tells us our purpose for life. This is why we're here. You are here to please Jesus. Bottom line. That's it. You were created, according to verse number 11, for Jesus' pleasure. You were created by him to please him. So that means if you are not pleasing Jesus in your life, you are not fulfilling your purpose in life. If you're not pleasing Jesus in your life, you probably feel pretty unfulfilled with what this world has to offer. Regardless of what success you might, uh, might attain, regardless of what accolades you might get from your coworkers or your friends, regardless of how people think that you might have made it in life, if you're not fulfilling your purpose, you're gonna be like, ah, there's something that's still missing somewhere. I'm not really sure what it is. It's your purpose. Serving Jesus with your life, that's what it's all about because he's worthy. Turn back to the book of Ephesians, though. We see, first of all, that Jesus is worthy, but secondly, we are unworthy. If Jesus is high, holy, lifted up, you and I are greatly abased. You and I are the exact opposite of that. We are unworthy. Notice how verse number one says, Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He's saying, I want you to act like you're worthy, even though you're really not. I want you to walk worthy according to the calling that you've been given on your life. You see, you and I have sinned against God. We've sinned against a holy God. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10, as it is written, there's none righteous. Actually, turn over your Bibles to Romans 3. I want you to see this. This is good. Oftentimes, I'll quote verses from this uh, passage, but I want you to look at it. If you ever get stuck in your Bible reading, you say, oh, you know, I I just need something to to read that'll light my fire. Man, read through the book of Romans. It will light you up like a Christmas tree, I'm telling you. Man, there's so much good stuff in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Hey, you got it together, God would disagree. You think that you don't really have any sin? The Bible says you're a liar. (laughs) 
pretty, pretty strong terms there. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. There are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they've used deceit. The poison of asps is in their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways. And the way of peace they have not known, and there's no fear of God before their eyes. Who is this describing? That really bad guy that you work with? That person that you met the other day that you can't stand him? No, this is talking about us. The people in this room. The people who are really trying to get it together, right? This is talking about us. There's none righteous, no, not one. I, I know some, some good dudes and some good gals in our church. I'm gonna give you that, all right? But the Bible says you're not righteous, and I would agree with that because I'm not righteous myself. There's none righteous, no, not one. And when we try to be righteous, this, these continuing verses tell us how badly we fail at being righteous. We are not worthy of God's love. We are not worthy of his mercy because we have sinned against him not once, not twice, but every single day. We're faced at a crossroads of do I follow God or do I do what's comfortable? Do I do what I want to do? And oftentimes you and I choose to do what we want to do. And you see, sin is not a decision that we made one time that we're kind of disappointed that we made. Sin is a lifestyle that we live. Sin is woven into our DNA at creation. We are our sinners and we have sinned against God. Secondly, on our own, our own lives are insignificant. Paul says, of all the things in life, I count but dung. It's a, it's a Bible word, dung. You know what the word dung means? Some of you are smiling like, huh, is he gonna say it? Is he going a large steaming pile of excrement? Paul says, that's what my life is worth on my own. Everything that I've accomplished in my entire life is waste and refuse. How about that? Is that a nicer word? Paul says the word dung. He didn't say garbage. He didn't say junk. He said, everything in my life is a big pile of excrement. I'll be politically correct on a Sunday morning. How about that, right? I won't say the word that you're thinking in your mind, right? that we tell our children not to say those words because they're not nice. Paul says dung. That's what his life is without Jesus. And let me just tell you this. You try to live your life without Jesus. Just try it. See how it works out. And I guarantee you, you will find that it is worthless. It is useless. Hey, you drive a nice car, good for you. Does it make you happy at night? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you think to yourself, I'm so glad I drive a really nice car. No, you don't. You don't find fulfillment in that. When you lay your head down at night, do you think to yourself, I'm so glad my manager at work told me that I did a bang-up job on that project this week. No, you don't. Most of us, when we lay our heads on our pillow at night, we're very vulnerable. I know many tears have been shed on many pillows at night when they lay down at, at, in their bed at night because they realize everything that I've worked my entire life for means nothing. Everything that I've tried to attain, everything that people said would make me happy, I no longer have. 
I was watching a documentary this past week on Netflix. It was talking about the American dream, how uh, the, the troops came back from World War II and they had the GI Bill, where or I'm sorry, the uh, VA loans so that they could buy homes and suburbs and the cost of, uh, of uh, motor vehicles had come down to the point where the average person could afford it and people began to move out to the suburbs. And this idea of the American dream was born in the fact that buy a house in the suburbs, drive a car to work. Like we think now like, that's actually a benefit, like driving a car to work. I hate sitting in traffic. Like, uh, that was a benefit once upon a time. But then this idea became that this is what you're supposed to get. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids. You're supposed to buy a house. Uh, you're supposed to have a college degree. You're supposed to get a really good job and make lots of money uh, and raise your kids and send them to private school and then send them to college and then be able to uh, enjoy your retired life fishing and driving around the United States in a motorhome or something. I don't know. And we think that will make me happy. And when I don't have a good education, I have a pretty crummy job, and my finances aren't adding up to what they thought they would be, and maybe I got the house that I wanted, but I realized I can't afford to furnish it with furniture now. I begin to scratch my head and go, wait, I'm trying to do this because of what? Our lives by ourselves are meaningless. The only thing that brings meaning to our life is Jesus. That's where the good stuff is found. Did you know I've met people that are dirt poor and homeless that have Jesus, that have the joy of, of the Lord? Did you know that I've met Christians who own multi-million dollar homes that are miserable with life? difference. Is it that I've attained some level? No, the, it's the fact that I realize that Jesus is really all that I need. Jesus is all that my heart desires. Psalm 8, uh, verse number 3, the psalmist says, When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? The psalmist even says, As I look at creation, I can't imagine why God is concerned with me, why God cares about me of everything else that he's made, of all the other things that he's created, of all the things that he finds value in in this earth, why would he look at me and find value? Is it because I'm meaningful to him? Now that brings us to the next thought here, is that Jesus has made us worthy. The only thing that will bring value to your life is Jesus Christ. The only thing that will bring the contentment that your heart aches for is Jesus Christ. It won't be friends. It won't be popularity. It won't be uh, anything that this world has to offer. It will come in the form of Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line, folks. Because we've sinned against God and because we are unworthy of God's love and favor, God must judge our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death that all of us will die one day and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And that's what we've earned. The Bible says the wages of your sin is death. Because of my sin and because of yours, we will die and we'll be judged for our sin one day. And the Bible says because of our sin, we will go to hell when we die. That's what we deserve. The wages of your sin is death. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell unloved. God says... You're worthy. You're worth something to me. I know that your life is insignificant, but I want to bring significance to it. I know that you're unworthy, but I want to make you worthy. How does he do that? By giving us his son, Jesus. Bottom line, I'm gonna give you the really quick Cliff Notes version of this. You sinned against God, you deserve to go to hell. 
God loves you too much and he sent Jesus to die in your place. Jesus paid the price of sin for you, for me. But you have to make a decision for yourself. I can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. Your grandparents can't make it for you. I wish I could pray a blanket prayer and everyone would just automatically get saved. But it's a decision you've got to make for yourself and you've got to decide to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Hey, you want to do it your own way? You're welcome to do that. But the Bible tells you how it all ends. There is no suspense that will build up to this. There's no like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. The Bible tells us clearly what will happen. You work it out on your own, you will die. You will spend eternity separated from God in hell forever. I had the opportunity yesterday on uh, outreach. We went to uh, Upper Kalihi. I've never been up there in my entire life. And uh, I was talking to uh, this lady. She was waiting for her cab. Uh, she was 82 years old. She was a Buddhist. And I said, I want to give you an invitation to our church. And she said, thanks for that. I'll never come because I'm a Buddhist. I said, that's okay. I said, if you never come to our church, here's what I want you to know. On the back of that invitation is some verses from the Bible that talk about how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. I said, have you ever thought about what happens when this life is over? And she says, I don't like to think about stuff like that. And I said, well, nobody really likes to think about what happens when we die, but you need to plan ahead. And she said, well, you know, my husband passed away several months ago, and, and he was a Buddhist too. And so uh, I, uh, you know, I was raised Buddhist by my dad, and that's just what I continue to do, 82 years old. And I said, okay. I said, according to, to what you believe, I said, I don't know a lot about Buddhism. I said, but according to your religion, what happens when we die? Never forget it. She said, we don't like to think about things like that, and we don't like to talk about things like that. You got you to think about it at some point. And she said, I think I'll be okay. And I said, I hope you'll read what's on the back there. That's how you can know for sure that you're okay. And she thanked me for my time and I moved on. But I thought to myself, how many people are just kind of have that mindset? I just don't want to think about it. I just, I just don't want to even think about that. But at some point, you're going to have to wake up and think about it. I don't want to think that my sins are forgiven. I don't want to hope I'm going to heaven one day. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home. We have 10 people being baptized today. And I, will, uh, I, I wish more than anything in the world we could show you their stories at, at length. Uh, we edited 10 videos down to about seven minutes or so. And it was tough because as an editor, you have to trim out all the stuff that can't make it in the final video. We should make like a director's cut that's like an hour long and just see everything. Oh, it was awesome. But one of, the, uh, one of the couples, he said, when I met my wife, I didn't know Jesus. My wife introduced me to Jesus. And he said, the thing that drew me to her was she was so sure of her eternity. And he goes, and I was so unsure. He said, I wanted to be sure of my eternity. And she shared the gospel with me. She shared Jesus with me. Uh, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And he said, 16 years later, uh, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm saved. And I know for sure that heaven's my home. I thought, yes, yes. When you and I have a message that is the gospel and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we're going, that will attract people to the gospel. And you're not worthy. You might look at the gospel and go, oh, I'm not worthy to be saved. Of course you're not. That's the whole point of the gospel. You see, we're not forgiven by our merit. God didn't say, oh, you've done such a good job. I'll forgive you. Oh, you've done such a good job. I'll save you. Oh, you're so well behaved. You see, we, I think it happens probably in childhood somewhere where we tell our kids, if you behave, you'll get ice cream afterwards. Right? If you eat all your dinner, you can have a chocolate chip cookie, but not unless you eat all your dinner. And then we grow up and we think that, that God says to us, I'll let you into heaven if you'll finish your dinner. I'll let you into heaven if you'll just be nice to everybody. I'll let you into heaven if you live a good life and you can get a chocolate chip cookie when you get here. 
And we have this idea in our minds that we can get to heaven by what we can do. You cannot do it. You will not make it. If you think that there's a ladder that you're climbing to heaven and one day you'll get there, you'll climb forever only to find out that you'll wind up in hell. That's just how it works. what the Bible says, not what I think. We're not forgiven based on our merit. Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus has made you worthy. You are completely and totally unworthy. Oftentimes people will say, well, I don't feel like I am good enough to be saved. Then you're in a very good starting place because you are not good enough to be saved. Oftentimes the problems come when people say, I think I've got it all together. I I think I'm a pretty good person. I mean, if God was going to save anybody, it would probably be me because I'm a really good dude. It's like, time out, you're not, (laughs) okay? We we sometimes say with people like that, we have to get them lost before they can get saved. If you think that you've got it all together and that that God got a gift the day that he he purchased you, you know, we're missing the boat on this because we're not forgiven based on how good we are. We're not loved based on our loveliness. God didn't look at us and go, wow, what a sweet, well-behaved guy. I love him so much. You know what God looked at me and said? What a wicked, disgusting, rebellious, hate-filled sinner. I love him so much. You think to yourself, how does that happen? (laughs) Have you ever seen uh, kids before and you said, man, that's a face that only a mother could love They probably said that about me when I was a baby. That's okay. Um, But the idea is this. You look at a kid like that and you go, oh, that's got to be tough to love. God looks at you and goes, man, that's a life that only God could love. Really? Because you're so, and I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we would say we're doing our best. We're trying to make forward progress, but we're basically a mess. Especially without the Lord, we are complete and utter disaster waiting to happen without the Lord. And Jesus has made us worthy because of his love for us, not because of what we've done, not based on how lovely we are. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not die for the religious people who had it all together. Jesus didn't die for those who have really good behavior. Jesus didn't die for those who don't sin too much. Jesus died for sinners. And I'm a sinner. The Apostle Paul, he says, if you were to make a list of all the sinners in the world, I'm at the top of the list. He says he's the chief of sinners. And Jesus died for sinners. He didn't die for people who were lovely. He died for the unlovely. And you see, we're accepted and made worthy by God's grace through Jesus. Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, but you're gonna get it anyways. To reuse our analogy here, Grace says to your kids, I told you to eat your meatloaf and you didn't. So I'm gonna give you a chocolate chip cookie instead. We look at that and we go, that makes no sense. Exactly, grace makes zero sense. I deserve God's judgment. I don't deserve forgiveness. I haven't done anything to earn forgiveness. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I haven't done anything to deserve heaven. I don't deserve God's blessings in my life. I've done nothing to earn God's blessings. I do deserve God's judgment. I've broken his law again and again and again. I do deserve to go to hell because God set up guidelines and I've broken just about every single one of them. 
I do deserve God's wrath to be poured out upon me. I deserve that. I don't deserve grace. That's what makes it grace. God loves you not because you're lovely, not because you have earned it, but he loves you because of his grace, and we're made worthy because of that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Final thought this morning is this. We turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The word vocation could also be translated calling. You've received a calling. Every single one of us, the moment that we accepted Christ as Savior, if you're a child of God here today and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you received a calling that day. You got a job to do. And you said, man, tell me what to do. Tell me when to show up. Show up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and make God look really, really good. That's your job. That's your calling. That's your vocation. This is what we've been called to do. How do we do that? It's not very easy. But Paul says, I want you to walk worthy. Here's the crazy part about this verse. You're not worthy, but I want you to walk worthy because Jesus has made you worthy. I know it's tough to wrap your head around, but I'll, so I'll say it again. I want you to walk worthy, even though you're not worthy, because Jesus has made you worthy. What does that mean for us? That means to live a life that's worth Jesus dying for. Jesus suffered, bled, and died, not for me to live an insignificant life, not for me to waste whatever years God gives me on planet Earth. Jesus suffered and bled and died so that I would do something that would outlast myself. Talking to a guy this past week, and he said, um, you know, what made you, what made you want to start a church from scratch in the middle of the city? And I said, God's just had something inside of me my entire life to do something greater than myself. That life's bigger than just what you can see with, with your own two eyeballs. I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, a town of 4,000 people. And I remember uh, as a kid, sometimes we would go to uh, the town that was 30 miles away from us. We would go to the mall, and the mall had like a barber shop there, and they had a, a Chick-fil-A. I'm going to put my hand over my heart when I say that, and their food court. And we would go, and we'd get our hair cut, and we'd get a Chick-fil-A sandwich and waffle fries. And I thought to myself, man, this is big city living right here, right? And mind you, it was a town of about 12,000 people. You know, it was three times the size of my hometown. It was huge. But I thought to myself, man, there's, there's a bigger world out there. We went a little bit further down the interstate and got to Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, my word. Music City, USA. There's a whole world out here that I've never even imagined before. And so I graduated high school, and I, I, I asked, what's the quickest way in the world to get out of this hometown? What's the quickest way to get away from all this and to see the world, right? Man, the, I went and talked to the Navy recruiter, and he gave me a really good pitch about how to see the world, Right? And I thought to myself, this is going to be amazing. So right out of high school, signed up for the Navy because I wanted to see the world. I was tired of, of being in the United States and being tied down to the small things of this world. And I got stationed in Pensacola, Florida. My first stop on my See the World tour, right? Four years there. Then I got stationed in, you want to guess? Good old Hawaii. I never even got out of the United States. Never. In my entire See the World tour, I never went on a ship. I never even got out to sea. I never even like got to swim around in the water, really. But I 
inside of me, I thought to myself, here's so many things that I never thought I'd experience. There's more to life than what I have inside of me. I think that drive and desire to serve my country and to be a part of, of men and women who put on a uniform and, and swear an oath to something was an idea that there's something out there that's bigger than me that I want to be a part of. And when it came to the spiritual aspect, there's a whole world out there that I know nothing about. There's people out there that don't know Jesus. There's a whole world that's outside of just showing up on Sunday morning, singing some songs and going home. And I want to be a part of the big world of what's going on out there. And God put it in our family's heart to come here and start a church. And I'm telling you this, this is not the end result. This is the beginning phases. This is the staging phase, all right? We're getting ready in a few years to, to blow the top off of this. We're just getting ready right now. We, we celebrate our five-year anniversary this October. It's going to be incredible. These first five years have been just kind of the practice, getting everything in place, getting people in their place, what they're supposed to do. We're getting ready to, 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 to launch here shortly, and it's going to be incredible. We've only begun to see what God wants to do through his church. But it's a recognition that our lives are meant for something. That our lives were given to us as a gift to invest. I want to build something that will outlive me. I want to be a part of something that will not die when I die. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the church that Jesus started is something that will outlive every single one of us and have eternal ramifications. And I want to get in on that. I want to live a life that was worth Jesus dying for. How do we do that? Verse number two tells us, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. You see, walking worthy speaks about our behavior. First of all, we need to walk humbly like Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, took himself on himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, became obedient even to the death of the cross. Jesus walked humbly. Can you imagine God of the, plan, God of the universe coming to our planet walking around him, what did he do? He helped people. Hey, you need a hand with that? Let me give you a hand with that. Hey, so you're struggling to walk. Let me help you out with that. Your sins be forgiven you. Hey, repent. Put your faith in God. Be a part of what I'm a part of. And Jesus came and served. Jesus didn't have a limo that he rode in. He didn't have, uh, you know, tons of followers that were clamoring, clamoring after him. You read John chapter six, the majority of his, his followers bolted on him when he began to preach truth. You know, Jesus said, I'm just here to serve. And you and I, if we stop looking at our life for what we can get out of our life, but instead what we can give with our life, man, we're gonna flip the equation and things are gonna be radically different. Secondly, we need to love unconditionally like Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verse number 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. It's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep unto the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse number two says we have to have lowliness and meekness. That's humility. With long suffering, that's patience and forbearing and love. How is your love for other people? 
most of us would say, well, I could probably be a little bit more loving with my kids. I could probably be a little bit more patient with my spouse. I could probably be a little bit more uh, loving with my coworkers and things like that. Here's what Jesus said. He says, if you just love the people that love you, what good is that? Even the unsafe people do that. I'm asking you to love your enemy. I'm asking you to love those who hate your guts. I'm asking you to love those people that lie about you and are plotting your downfall. I want you to love them instead. You say, well, that's a tough thing to do. Look at, just watch the life of Jesus. Just watch it. People tried to stab him in the back. People tried to kill him. People falsely accused him of things. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forbearing and love. I want to walk humbly the way that Jesus walked. At, at what point I think that I'm somebody or I'm, I'm a gift to God in my own life, I've missed the boat. I want to be loving. At what point I think that life's about me and what I can get out of life, I've missed the whole purpose of life. Finally, give generously like Jesus. Matthew 20 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus Christ, his gift, his life was a gift to us. Would you say that your life is a gift to Jesus? I hope so. I hope you can look at your life and go, man, what God's given me is an investment. I'm going to invest it wisely. You know the difference between a gift and an investment? A gift is something that's given to you free of charge, don't want anything back from it. An investment is something that's given to you to grow, to be able to give back from it. You see, our life is an investment of God. It's not a gift to do with what you want to. It's an investment that one of these days, God's going to say, hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? Did you get a good return on that investment? Is life about me? Nope, not even close. Life's about Jesus. My life is my gift back to him. The Bible says that for all those that know Christ as Savior, one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged according to the things we've done with our life. Basically, our entire life's work will be boiled down to wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. And the Bible says that we'll receive a reward. And that reward is not ours to keep for ourselves, to like stick up in heaven to save. Our reward is our gift to Jesus Christ as in worship. Hey, Jesus, here's my life and everything that I did with it. I give it to you. But we can't just hope that something's gonna happen one day in heaven. We gotta start living that way that we'll have a reward one day in heaven. I wanna challenge you today. I want you to live the next seven days like life's not about you and it's about those around you and it's about Jesus. I want to challenge you over the next seven days to stop looking at what you want out of life and start asking the question, what does God want out of my life? Not how am I going to spend my time, but what, how would God have me to spend my time? Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% heaven is your home. Please don't leave here until you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Bible says, if any man is not born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. You must be saved to go to heaven. If you're not saved, you're in danger of God's judgment. Don't leave here today under God's judgment. Simple as that. Today, we'll get the opportunity to celebrate with 10 people who are being baptized today. They're not being baptized to be saved. They've already been saved. They've accepted Christ as Savior. And today, they're being baptized to say, we're so thankful that we get to follow Jesus. So I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, please don't leave without talking to me first. Talk to one of our ushers. Talk to anybody and know for sure that your sins are forgiven. If you are a child of God here today, this week, two words, walk worthy.